Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides on the quest to RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. In our main podcast episodes, we discuss D&D 5e's core rules and ever-expanding content, while also showcasing other RPG systems and bringing you fresh, new projects from indie content creators. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world you're playing in, because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. Hi, I'm Conan Librarian, and I don't have a podcast. I do, however, like most of us, have the need for a place to store, organize, customize, and create my tabletop campaigns, thoughts, and ideas. That's why you should check out ObsidianPortal.com, customization that will match any need you have, a fantastic community, and an experience in and of itself that will get your players engaged, not just during the session. ObsidianPortal.com. Your players don't just stay at the tavern. Why should your game just stay at the table? ObsidianPortal.com. Welcome everybody to today's episode. So obviously, one D and D is dominating the D and D discussion right now out there in the marketplace. And so we're going to do our episode on the latest honors article that came out to support D and D. Before we get into that, gentlemen, Mr. Myers, Mr. Miller, good evening. How are you doing this fine Tuesday evening? I am fantastic. It's been a pretty good day. Dreary because you know the weather, but is what it is. You can't do much about that. Sometimes that happens yeah. in the fall, but productive got a lot of got a lot of work done diving into this and rediving into this new giant ua document i'm going to be honest going through it a second time took up a significant portion of my day but yeah, and, it, and it is definitely a two reader i remember going through it when it was first announced and then uh, reviewing my notes today and re-watching the videos with with jeremy crawford earlier today there are things that i missed the first time around and so it's really it's it definitely a, a two reader yep see and i haven't younger. watched the videos yet i wanted to read the document as they wrote it without the impression that they mm. were going to give me first and then i'm going to watch the videos but i haven't gotten that far yeah. yet so it'll be interesting to to see what that brought into y'all that I may have missed. Yeah. How so about you, Mr. I, Miller? How, yeah. How, how about you, Mr. I'm, Miller? How are you doing tonight? Yeah. I'm doing really well. Doing two things at once, prepping for this episode and prepping for Dead Rain that I'll be running at my local game store tomorrow night, my third session. Is that a set table oh, or course. do you still have open spots? There are open spots because I keep it open. I keep trying to bring in more people. It's a zombie game and I'm as I get more people, I will not necessarily be opposed to zombie games going the way zombie games go. Heroes die. I can <laughs> handle more folks. I am trying to keep it to the six to eight range, depending on who shows up. I've got some regulars who are there all the time. My son, a couple friends, and one of my friend's son also plays. And then some other folks 
the game I store because... is very excited about it. And like they even built my event page this last time to save me a little legwork on that. Ooh, that they excellent. wanted me to make sure things are... Citadel's a great store, man. They yeah. care of their folks. They always have and they always will. So I'm proud to represent those. I asked for selfish reasons. I'm interested enough in Dead Rain that I'm thinking about stopping by for one of them. And I wanted to know if there might yeah. be room. There's always room at my table for you, Glenn. I will find a way. Yeah, so a lot of my day has been getting some additional pregens ready to go so I can handle new players and stuff. Because one of the secrets of the game is once I hand a pregen over to a player that is for that player, even if they don't make another session, another person doesn't get to play that character. Sure, yeah. I will bring in a new character with a new pregen. And as I'm saying, people can wander in and out of whatever safety camp you've got. Exactly. That's pretty handy for a big shifting populist game. I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Tricks to running big games or games in public places where cast can change and you don't have people you as a storyteller have to time box and you have to find in-game in-universe reasons while why your cast can change so i that's how i built this in so really looking forward to that yeah. and quick shout out to my main man aaron judge for nope. 62 nope nope veto yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, we do not have an open door policy or a non-discrimination based on your sporting event preferences here at Tabletop Journeys. And Josh just likes to execute the cut hammer if it's a team he doesn't like. Yes, just to make he has more work to do to cut it if he tries to cut it. The likelihood is I'll be doing the editing, so it might make he gets the second shot at it anyway. Exactly. For our TJ universe here, I am going to go ahead and try to go ahead and time box around this episode because we have got a Mm. monstrous on unearth arcana article to go through this evening a monster at 37 pages which if we're going to be getting a 37 page article every month we are definitely going to have our work cut out for us and none more so than mr myers who is of course running the one D playtest with some friends so hopefully we'll see see pretty soon here how these rules actually actually translate out a quick update on that for everybody out there. The one D&D actual playtest is coming. Because of the way Watsi has released it, we're not going to really start recording it until we have enough, just before, actually, we have enough classes to run a group of six. Because we need to be able to have six players at the table. Yeah. But we're, do- we're reviewing all the rules in the meantime, and then from there, we should have it running for you on the regular throughout this craziness. I am looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to, to sitting at your table again and throwing some dice. But let me just talk a little bit about how we're going to go ahead and do this tonight. We're actually going to start at the end of the article today, and we're going to dive into the rules glossary, if only because that's the piece of the uh, the article here that had the fewest number of changes, or it's evolving every single month, building on itself, as they said in the in the interviews. Any rules glossary that comes out in a UA totally supersedes the rules glossary that came out the month before it. We're going to talk about some of the new things that are in the rules glossary, and then we're going to go ahead and do a deep dive into uh, the classes, and then the feats section as a whole. We're going to pick out uh, a bunch of feats to go ahead and talk about in that section. We're not going to talk about every single feat, uh, because that itself would be its own three episode arc. So we're not gonna we're not gonna go through all of those, but right. we're definitely gonna. I've well, definitely got a bunch that I want to pick out and, and talk about that I thought were uh, some interesting changes to uh, between five E and one D yeah, and D. And make sure uh, yeah. they get a good overview. Yeah. And if they want all of the details, go download the UA mm-hmm. and read it. Fill out the survey. Put in your Absolutely. input. So before we go ahead and get cracking here too much, though, let's, Mr. Miller, Mr. Myers, I'm going to give you a one minute apiece in our little time box experiment. Here. Overall impressions on this second UA article in the one D and D sphere. What did you think about it? Where do you? Th- how did you think about the progress from the first one? What did you think about the advent of the expert classes and stuff like that? I like it. I'm going to say I'm excited to see what's coming and how it's going to change after the feedback. Because as more feedback comes in about these classes, we should start seeing many adjustments to them as we go. And I'm curious to see 
how they dial in. I think that the concept of the expert classes and what it's doing with adding expertise literally to all of those classes, not just rogue and bard, that's right. Ranger will also have expertise, which is hot because they are a character of skills. I'm really excited to see where it goes. And I got to say, they've done a lot to boost the Ranger. I'm, they may have overboosted the Ranger in a couple of spots. That's good. Earned it. It suffered for a long time. But yeah, the Bard got a little bit of a nerf. But it'll be interesting to dive into and see where it goes. Yeah. What about you, Mr. Miller? What do you think of this? So I really liked it. And let's start. First of all, I love skill monkeys. And the expert classes are going to be that. All three of them to some extent, to a major mm -hmm. extent with the Bard and the Rogue. But I can definitely see where they're going with this. And I really liked it. And to Glenn's point, I think the videos were helpful in partaking of this UA, is it provides context. It didn't change my opinion about anything. I don't believe it altered, but it provided a lot of context. So any conversation about where might they be going, what might they be thinking, is very well explained by those videos. And it gave me a good roadmap as to where to look and yep. what to look for. So that's how I approached it. And I have to say that in general, Ranger's great, Rogue's great. I really like the Bard. I'm interested in it. The Lore Bard is really looking quite interesting here. Overall, the UA, I like the, the directions that they're looking at. A little saddened, though I absolutely understand now that we have the new glossary and the new terms, and they've clearly defined the fact that none of that stuff is guaranteed for the next umpteen months, that they're just going to be playtesting different things. I have a feeling some of those are going to be red herrings, so we don't know what mm. we're going to get in the final end. That is a disappointing to me from a content creator standpoint, but I get why they're doing it. I think there's some stuff in that we'll see from time to time that will be much ado about nothing. I'm really looking forward to jumping yeah. in the great detail but i really like what we're seeing as far as things to move forward there's going to be things that maybe don't make the final book that can be repurposed in other ways so to that end let's dive into the rules glossary here for a few minutes just to kind of talk about some of the changes that we noticed and some of the things that we see in here and the first one that stood out to me was again their retooling of the dice mechanics for success and failure there's a pretty major shift in your critical success critical fail model this time around. In the last UA, the first time that they rolled it out, they said that characters would get inspiration on a D20, on a 20 roll of, on a D20. And this time they have reversed that. They've gone with the fail forward model. And now you get inspiration when you roll a natural one. And so they're continuing to tweak those dice mechanics. I like the inspiration model. I like getting inspiration on a roll of a natural one, that kind of reflects something that I've done at my table a lot where while I ran a milestone game, there were ways for my characters to get bonus XP at the table. And one of those ways was if they rolled a natural one or if they rolled a natural 20, they could get bonus experience points, which kind of, it, it wasn't a huge bump, it was, but it was kind of a nice flavor bump, right? Where it's maybe a character might be, might be level nine before another character's level eight or something like that. So it stayed roughly within the same the same milestone format, but it gave them a little bit of a bump. And I liked doing it on both ones and on 20s. So it's nice to see that D&D is really starting to codify some fail forward mechanics. I also love the mechanic for getting inspiration on rolling a one instead of a 20. You're already getting the reward on the 20 of the additional damage of knowing you just beat the snot out of the guy. It didn't need an extra reward. But when you roll a one, especially at the tables where the one also means an automatic failure, it hurts. So getting a little bit of a reward on that, I think the fail forward mechanic, and it's becoming really popular in a lot of games. You're not wrong. I think it's great. One thing I would like to see if they're going to do fail forward mechanics is some way to go ahead and inform storytellers and players on how to fail forward narratively. They're giving us the mechanical fail forward. The next thing they need to do 
is on some level kind of show D&D players how to fail forward in a narrative sense. What is it about that critical failure that allows them to go ahead and learn from it and right. focus next time around? When you choose to use that inspiration, what lesson did you learn? How did exactly, it apply? Yeah. That, yeah. That, that's a yep. fun thing to come up with. And not all players yep. are into it, but those that are, that's yeah. a good piece. Yeah. And some guy could be nice. No secret. The three of us at Tabletop Journeys and many, if not most, of our listeners and our patrons are fans of Fail Forward mechanics and narrative gaming. So this speaks to us very specifically. When we last spoke about the critical success mechanic and getting inspiration on a 20, there was some discussion about, yeah, but you're already getting the extras. And then there was a discussion about maybe it should be on both. And then we're like, that's that's like a 10% chance in a given game, you're going to have so much inspiration going out. Really a 5% chance is probably where that needs to land. So if I had to make, and I agree with that feedback, though I think originally I may have not with it. So I've definitely been thinking about that. And I would definitely go with that thought that I don't think it needs to be to whatever number it lands on it, just one number on it as far as I'm concerned. I like it one versus a 20 better now that I'm seeing it here in this playtest. Because why stack your benefits on the 20? Why not give the benefits on a different die? And it's a different kind of benefit. And one other thing that should be noted, this rules glossary supersedes the old rules glossary. So the old rules glossary if you're playtesting 1D and D, stop using the old glossary in total. Yeah. Terms are either the 214 player's handbook and this new rules glossary or not. In other words, critical hits go back to the way they were in the or 2014 player's handbook. So just something to be aware of. Crawford took a great deal of time in the video to express and drive that point home when, in his conversation with Todd Kendrick. So as you're playtesting, these rules that we're talking about tonight are designed with this rules glossary in the 2014 player's handbook. Yeah. Yeah. Love the new tooling of the D20 mechanic for, for inspiration. Mm. Maybe not crazy about the lack of double damage, but I think that your point about there maybe being some red herrings in here, the way they've already decided how things are going to translate and that we'll see things differently in the final book. I'd be willing to bet that given the amount of feedback out in the out in the wilds here, that that double damage mechanic will come back even if the inspiration mechanic stays on a one. Maybe not. Maybe they'll pick one or the other. I'm not sure. But that's but I, I guess I guess we will see well, here. The double damage is there. It goes back to the twenty fourteen player's handbook, which means a critical hit which doubles means- all dice. Oh. What changes is on the D20 check, a roll of a natural 21 automatically counts as a success. The old UA, it only doubled the weapon dice. It didn't double any add-on dice. So if you're your smites, your sneak yeah. attack damages, your right. your additional all of those product, apply, all those are what got dropped in the way, which made the game the P's a little less super heroic. Those alpha strikes came down considerably with that, yep. especially for people who are out there built with crit fisher builds. So they, the old UA took those out. This UA brings those back. So yep. we're still working on the old system with that. I could actually see some merit to the old system because when we get into the individual classes, specifically looking at you, Rogue, taking away doubling on sneak attack dice might work because they're going to get a chance to sneak attack a little more frequently, I think. But that's for later on in the discussion. The other cool thing that I found in the rules glossary, and this may have been in the first one, but we didn't get a chance to go ahead and talk about it, but they have added a new action type into your soft abilities, your non-combat abilities, and that's the influence action, the ability to go ahead and specifically mechanically use those persuasion checks, use use the things that codify a lot of things that we're doing at the table anyway, but they have now codified them specifically, so you can take your influence action to, to change the attitude of an NPC. 
And I think that is so super cool. I love it. I love that they are actually codifying that. They're making that a little bit less ambiguous, a little bit less fuzzy. They're giving storytellers the tools that they need to go ahead and set those DCs properly. Love it. Love it. Love it. Absolutely love it. I would double down on that love for that. It came up big time in my Monday night game where we were just talking about we had a big situation that had some combat, had some puzzles, had some different things going on. And it is very reminiscent of a Power by the Apocalypse where yeah. or many of the Power by the Apocalypse actions where you can search for an answer or investigate while other people are fighting. You can do an investigate action so you don't get to throw damage dice, but you can still roll dice and you have your time frame to shine. So those characters who are non-combat, you want to play a pacifist and do other things in combat, we now have rules to allow that to happen. So no longer does a DM not know what to do with a pacifist character or not know what to do with a non-combat optimized character because there are now rules for doing that. Now, old Grenards will say, in our day, we just used to do that. And yes, you're correct. That's exactly what we used to do. We used to say, yeah, I think that's equivalent to an action. I'll let you do that. But it was harder in settings where you play with people that you don't are not always around. And I think that's something that us older folks who've been playing the game for 30 years need to keep in mind. The game isn't what it was. It's not you and your small cadre of friends always. It is going to a flagship, a friendly neighborhood store and gaming with people that you may have just met or only have casual acquaintance with. It is going online and hopping into a gaming a forum and picking up a game here, picking up a game there, going to a digital convention, going to a live convention somewhere. Though many people in this hobby will be playing with their friends regularly, they are also just as likely to play with people that they don't play with all the time. So codifying some of these rules and having some of these things out of that, that's how my group does it, is not the worst thing that can happen for this ha hobby, especially if it's driving narrative and good story. Yep. What y'all said twice. Yeah. I'm not going to go through the circle and repeat it all again. Yeah. So I'm just going to no. say what's up, Jen. Yeah. Yep. Cool. There's what other interesting things going yeah, on in say. this. Those things are really impacting the storytellers. But looking at it from a player perspective, there's a couple other changes going on in here that if they come through, I'd be a little questioning on that. I want to make sure I get my two cents in on for the way they should be in the survey. One of the things I noticed throughout is it's a whole lot easier to get a swim speed or a climbing speed, right? Then they yep. have this rule on special speeds at the end where it basically states that if you have multiple speeds, you can only use one speed type per move, which means oh. you can only walk or you can only... Now, in the same turn, you can still do more if you dash. You could walk for your move action and fly for your dash action. That's interesting. I don't like it. I want to get my feedback in on that one because mm. in my opinion, if you have, if you wade 10 feet into the surf and begin swimming, you should be able to then move because you have if you have a swim speed also of 30 feet, so you don't have any if you have equal swim equal speeds you should then be able to also swim 20 feet but based on that rule you'd wait in 10 feet and have to wait to the next your next ability to move before you could start i think that i'm very interested to see the way that exhaustion is applied because of the changes to it instead of five levels of exhaustion with specific abilities now and i think i like this i like it a lot instead it goes to 10 levels before you die and each level equals a minus one to all d20 checks so one level of exhaustion is not so bad. It's a minus one on all your rolls. Two levels, not so bad. You can go all the way to 10. That's going to get a little bit crunchy, but I like the idea of 10 levels of exhaustion versus five. I'm interested to see what's going to apply those conditions. And the other thing that I found fascinating is a change to the action economy. I really want to know what's going to happen if there's still going to be an item interaction because they, 
put drawing or sewing a weapon into the attack action for all weapons now, where there's a special rule for equipping weapons. You can equip or unequip your choice as part of the attack action. So you can fire the bow and stow it as part of attacking. Then on your next round, draw your sword and attack as part of attacking. Yeah. Yeah. I think that we're going to, we're going to get into an action economy heavily when we start talking about the rogues because of, and again, this is something that Jeremy Crawford talked about a lot, is that the whole kind of way that rogues were built was on their ability to cheat through action economy, like taking more than one bonus action, things like that, things that rogues are going to be able to go ahead and do. And so I'm interested yep. to go ahead and see how the action economy plays out also. Regarding exhaustion, I like the concept. I don't know if I like 10. I think that's a lot of crunch, as you're saying. To me, the way to handle that is to bring it back down to five and simply have have that decreased ability work by twos. So I think mechanically it works exactly the same. So like so level exhaustion zero, minus four, minus six, minus eight, minus 10. Yeah. And then and it's will set in an incarnation further because 10 yeah, might be I, too much. I think 10 might be too much. It's too much to remember. But if there's only five levels of exhaustion, it fits on the screen nicely because currently they have six. They've just bought some real estate and for their screens. And I think that would work well. In regards to the action economy, though, I'm not finding it as we're talking right now. I thought I recalled in the interview Crawford saying that there is a free action, which will allow you to interact with tools or other things, or you could use your other action abilities. So for instance, an investigate or a whatever. So for instance, getting that doorknob, maybe an investigate, depending on how you were phrasing what you were going to do or what have you. Using some other skill might be an influence because there's now that action, that ability or that type of action within the round. I think some clarity to the language so we don't have attack actions or action actions and bonuses and this actions and that actions could help. I heard on one podcast, I'm talking about phases. So you have three things you can do or three phases of every turn, and then you have multiple options and you can do as many of those as you want. So you can attack. Where did they get that information? That was, that's a Pathfinder rule. I believe a Pathfinder one or possibly a Pathfinder two. Which came from magic. That came from magic right. gathering too, where each, yeah. each turn has a particular phase. I have one more thing I have to, because I'm so excited about it and I almost forgot. Okay. Have at it. I think they finally may have fixed dual wield because 5e dual wielding is shit because it takes away your bonus action. So no rogue can dual wield because they give up half of their ability to do stuff, right? Yep. Most yep. rangers can't, especially the beast master because if he uses his bonus action to offhand attack, he can't bonus action command his pet to attack because that's the yep. only way he can command his pet to attack. And it will also eliminate the countless questions of they can do that with a light weapon. If I attack with my longsword, why can't I punch the guy in the... It's not a bonus action attack anymore. It's going yep. to be a property of light weapons, light which weapons. is really fascinating given the conversation we just had the other day about dual wielding Josh in real life. The mm -hmm. fact that it would have to be two light weapons. Yep. And it even specifies that when it changes up to the feet where you can use a heavy weapon, now it's only one. You can now use a non-light and a light, but not two long swords. Yeah. But regardless, you're going to be able to take both of those attacks as part of your attack action with a light weapon. You can make a second attack with your offhand. So I think they fixed it, and I'm super excited. Yep. That was a big emphasis. Not that we kind of keep going back to the videos, but that was a big emphasis when they were talking about the ranger in particular, about how the ranger is going to benefit from from the new light weapon rules. Yep. That's a great call out, Glenn, actually. I was, I'm excited. I also like that. It's important for rogues, too, like because it's still part of the attack sure. action, which is important, because a bonus action is not, and the rogue sneak attack now specifies that it will only work on an attack action. I don't remember if it specified that before, which means you could not any longer get a sneak attack off of a bonus attack because it used to be a staple holdout. You missed your main attack. You got your offhand attack. If you do two, 
I can tell you. And but uh, now you uh, could get if you could get because they both are part of the same attack action. If you miss with this one with your sneak attack, you can get your sneak attack on your offhand now. Yeah, exactly. What I was going to say is for all the rogues I play, I purposely always kept the second weapon, whether I had the extra feats to go along with it, because if I miss that sneak attack damage, what was the, there's no harm in trying. I, I mean, I basically had this thing, unless I was ducking out or whatever, I might as well go for the second hit. Yep. Yep. So. Cool. Anything in the rules glossary that you wanted to talk about, Luanika, in particular? Uh, Glenn stole my thunder when he jumped me and, and took out the second weapon. He got me with his I bonus think. action before I got a chance. I'm wounded. I'm sorry. I'm I was overzealous. Des- <laughs> desperate need of healing. Like, that was was what I was going to call out because as the guy who plays rogues so frequently and fervently, that's my jam. But <laughs> alas. I'm sorry uh, I was overzealous, my friend. I did not mean to yeah. steal it all. Oh, it's okay. It's all right. It's all right. You weren't talking to me, but I, I will accept your apology there, Glenn, on behalf <laughs> of Mr. Miller there. Let's go ahead and get into what is going to be the second half of this episode here. And we're going to talk about the feats. Now, anybody that has listened to our show like ever knows how much the three of us love feats. We love the direction of the feet trees in general. We unless love the way that they unless they're stinky feet. So that's that stinky feats are bad. But in general, feats are good. How much we love the way that they're they're giving us these feet building blocks so that we can go ahead and build up through the levels, getting higher level feats in here. And that's the first thing that I wanted to talk about is the feats is in general the new the big new rule in the feats about the epic power feats and so to go ahead and give some context on this here at least with these expert classes and jeremy crawford certainly heralded that we're going to see this throughout that all of these classes now get their apex abilities at level 18 and then at level 20 every character will get the chance to get into an epic feat and they are going to unlock truly amazing powers that 20th level characters can get to right now they're very generic they don't have a lot of uh, they don't have a lot of flavor they're just very generic but epic boon of combat powers when you miss with a melee attack you can hit instead epic boon of dimensional travel you can cast a misty step without expending a spell slot right epic boon of energy resistance you gain resistance to the following damage type of your choice that sort of stuff exactly and so they're basically they are giving player characters legendary abilities the same powers that we give to elder red dragons and to to liches and to 20th level warlock bad guys and everything like that now player characters can start to pull from that pool i am all for it especially when it comes with the fact that classes now get their apex ability at the same level they're starting to standardize how all these things are happening lee winnick i know in particular you have been asking for this for since we've been doing this podcast you've been asking for this i've been asking for this since probably two to three years before we started doing this podcast i would say it was something i <laughs> mentioned when i first started playing and like it doesn't make sense that the subclass abilities come at different times if there's one thing i truly and honestly hope and pray stays in these versions though this is probably the one thing that will make backwards compatibility the hardest yeah is the fact that i want standardized subclass advancement i think it's brilliant that they put it here i was watching dungeon dudes who said they did who picked on something that showed up in this and they and their comment was watsy you can have this for free i'm sure they were listening to our podcast and jeremy you're welcome at any time feel free to join our patron we'd love to have you at our table but by the way you also can have that idea for free i won't even argue about it you don't even have to put me in the credits Hashtag call your boys TTJ, but I'm telling you, love it. Standardized development, 
getting those apex abilities at 18. 20 is a big thing, but that's the end of a campaign. So you've got that end of the campaign power, but you still have a couple levels where you get to use your last cool thing for your subclass and your last cool thing for your class. Brilliant, brilliant, more of it, love it, keep, go, keep moving in that direction. Even beyond that, in this UA, we also get rules for how to proceed beyond so you can continue to enjoy those characters. Now, I did find that a little bit odd since WotC doesn't write material for 220 particularly right. often, but for those of us that do, or those of you that do, because I don't get characters to 20 very often, I'm going to be honest, it's just hard to hold a group together for that long. Once you're playing past that end of the superpowers phase where you're becoming not just a hero, but something more, you're past level 20, and you're getting those eldritch abilities of the epic boons, every 30,000 experience, your new form of leveling up is choosing a new feat. And you can choose anyone you want. Add more right. flavor, choose an epic boon. You don't have to do one thing. Do whatever, ever colors your palette. And yep. I love that. Whatever yep. colors your palette. Yep. Absolutely. Because anybody who wants to go past, why should you have to retire your character at 20? It gives you yep. an ability to continue to feel some form of advancement. I thought that was really well done. Totally agree. I'm absolutely here for the epic the epic boons. I think right. that they're amazing. And you can keep choosing epic boons too. What's that? Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and the progression 20. past the 20. Totally. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The other thing that I really liked, and Glenn, you talked about how they fixed dual wielding. I'm actually going to take that a step further and say that I think that they have fixed fighting styles in general, because now they have taken all of the fighting styles and made them feats. This mm -hmm. is exactly what they should have been from the very beginning. No longer are you that 16th level ranger who picked terrain and picked a, picked a bad weapon choice, and you can't ever get out of it, because now you're it's all you have to do now is take a feat. Yes, yep. it's expensive. Yes, it is it's going to cost you there there is a pound of flesh involved with this transaction. You're absolutely right. However, you can now gain additional fighting styles. And I think no, that the Ranger can't. All okay. the fighting styles have the prerequisite warrior group. No, well, that's so all of the warriors can obtain more fighting styles whenever they want, but it did not open them up for other people to take them. However, I would contend that a ranger, I've always thought of a ranger as a martial class. I like their inclusion into the expert class. So I'm not arguing against that. But yeah, that's that, that's a tough call on the poor rangers. So I, there's two ways around that. A one level dip into fighter and then you can do it from then on. Or we wait for further UAs and maybe we'll get some changes there. I would like to see changes there. I would say any class should be able to get any fighting style they want. Because in theory, what we're saying, if fighting styles are feats, that, those particular feats are things that are obviously trained or learned. Right. Therefore, anybody should be able to learn learn that particular set of skills. If a wielding rogue that dedicates themselves to learning the fighting style to weapon fighting, yeah, would agree with that. I'd like yeah. to see fighting styles. Maybe you but could learn a, a wizard could learn a fighting style, right? Yeah, why but not? a war wizard should. Why shouldn't Why shouldn't a war wizard have exactly. a lore master if his two handed hammer is actually his spell focus as well? I would mm -hmm. think that makes plenty of sense. Yeah, no, I um, definitely like to see that. I can see dwarven wizards uh, like that. Absolutely. I think there's ways around. I think some of the things that it opens up is the possibility of subclasses granting fighting, granting a fighting style feat. So one of your yep. leveled features is you have now trained in this thing. So you now get this fighting style as well. A ribbon ability and, and a fighting style is your third, is, is your entry level feature. There. Hey there, travelers. Do you want early access to all of our episodes? How about exclusive content, live broadcasts, and the chance to throw dice with your favorite hosts and fellow fans? You can do all that by signing up for our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. But wait, there's more. 
For the next month, you can get a free coffee mug for signing up at the Adventurer level. Plus, Adventurer level Patreons automatically get complimentary copies of our latest book, The Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse, available on DM's Guild. We love doing this show for y'all, and your support helps us keep creating and producing great content for you. We have tiers to fit any budget for a monthly commitment, so join us today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. So the first time around when they talked about backgrounds, and they talked about how to go ahead and construct backgrounds, where they said that you can go ahead and basically customize your backgrounds, and they gave some suggested builds, but if I remember correctly, the option when you build a background is to go ahead and take a first level feat. Which yep. is before you've chosen a class, technically. Since it's before you've chosen a class, exactly where I'm going with that. And they are separate mechanics. So is there anything that says that a wizard couldn't take a background that granted them- Fighting style? The protection fight. I can it doesn't have a, a grouping yeah. on it. Yeah, right now, because a background doesn't have a grouping, however, the feats that you're allowed to take if we're going by those rules, which are no longer here, something to keep in mind, it would be the fact that these particular fighting styles still have a prerequisite within them. As long as the prerequisite is still there, then it can't be a first level feat. Except it lists as a first level feat. Hey. They, in this document, it says fighting style, great weapon fighting, first level feat. Yeah, Pre- and the prerequisite warrior group. Yeah. So in theory, that would preclude it right. from the being reason a why, if you remember but, in the Origins document, the very beginning of it, it said, now that you've chosen your class, it's time to decide on a ra- on your race and background. Okay, so I believe the rules are going to, to make first. you choose your class first. It doesn't make sense chronologically in terms of your life, mm-hmm. but in terms yeah. of character yeah. creation, it does. As a well, DM, I would allow uh, it, but I'll, interesting. I'll put that feedback in myself. Do the Again, this is why they're playtesting, and this is why they're gathering the survey results, right? Yeah. So that we can go ahead and say, you know what? We love the fighting style feats the way that they're, they are. However, making mm-hmm. them prerequisite to only the warrior group in a document that was specialized to the expert group, I will add, is it's not maybe, the best maybe, look. maybe not the best way to go about this. One other thing to Glenn's point about the character generation, since he brought that up, is this. You're not wrong. The way chronologically picking your background first makes the most narrative sense. However, you pick your background, then you pick your class, and you realize, oh, why did I bother to pick that background? Because I get all those skills anyway with my class. I just doubled up on things. And when you double up, you don't get a expertise. You just get a wasted choice. So you have to go change things again. I think you're right. They're going to switch to class first background or race then background for that reason so you don't double up on things and you can make better selections and that makes the mechanical sense as far as creating a character even if it's not the best chronological sense i'm pretty sure that it's going to carry through that if you take a background that when you take it when you wind up earning a skill that you already have you get to choose a new skill in almost everything that i've seen that's been written so far so if it awards you survival and you already have survival you get to choose something else so it's not wasted all right. A couple other things that I wanted to go ahead and toss out here. I, after getting through the fighting styles, the first feat that really stood out to me, and I went through this feat list and compared them to their 5e equivalents to go ahead and see what changed. And the first one that really attracted my attention was Great Weapon Master. And what attracted my attention about Great Weapon Master is that second bullet point. They have taken the greatest in 3-3-5 and rolled it into Great Weapon Master. Great Weapon Master now comes Cleave. the ability that when you drop your enemy to zero hit points
points, you just keep on trucking and just keep on messing up the people next to you. I think Cleve is absolutely, that's one of those feats that I have felt is a, it is a crime that, that Cleve is not in fifth edition. There, there may be some things coming out in the next couple of months here that try to rectify that. <clears throat> Spoiler alert. We have tried ourselves to go ahead and fix that, but I love the fact that they're bringing it back. And I love the fact that they have attached it to Great Weapon Master. I think that's as a fantastic addition to that feat. I also like the extra damage that you get to cause. I think that's kind of that. Yep. The, once per turn on that, that, that heavy weapon mastery piece is wonderful. I think that's, that feat got big, but I think it does all the things that it needs to do. Yep. It's also a fourth level feat. It should be big. Heavy weapon master as a fourth level feat. It makes sense that it got some extra sauce. Right, what, mounted, what about you? Mounted combat looks significantly improved as well, and it makes me wonder whether or not they're going to bring in better rules for it. It, I, it yeah, it's still not I sure perfect, so. but it, it's better. And yeah, I think the problem with mounted combat is going to be the problem that mounted combat has in a narrative sense. Mounted combat only works if your entire party is mounted. If you're on a horse and nobody else is, like, what's the how much movement does a horse get? 120 feet around or something like that? That's if it's in full gallop. It's like mounted combat is tough to run at a table. It's tough to it's tough to execute. And so I think, but I do agree with you that you got to give them room to do it. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's the point. And and let's be honest too. As a DM, if I'm if I am running a encounter in a cave and I've got a ten foot long, hundred foot long corridor, sure mm-hmm. that mounted combat is going to be real effective for one or two rounds as that horse runs one direction. But that horse is also going to be out of rounds for while they try to figure out how to turn around in that corridor. Like that's the problem with mounted combat. And so I agree with you though. The fourth level feats in general show a significant power bump and I like it. I like it. I like it. Yeah. I just like that it doesn't try to address the charging in and out completely. It doesn't make that the focus, that it's only about the lance. I like the fact that it gave you more ability to add flavor to a character that you're choosing to play with a horse because you don't have to charge yeah. in and out. You can fight from horseback yep. with mounted strike and use veer when they try to hit your mounts to bring the attack to you. And there's better rules in it that says, all right, even if I'm not charging in and out of combat at speed, I could still mount a horse and there's better rules for fighting than it. You're not wrong. I like where they're leading with that. For me, when I'm looking at the feats, I went to two feats that I very often take. Alert got a lot of different in the last way. So two feats that I very often take would be observant and keen mind. And I love the boost to these two fourth level feats. Keen mind, it has a prerequisite of your intelligence score, which is nice. So it's not going to be used. It's mostly going to be used by folks who are already starting there, but not necessarily a bad thing to, to keep in mind. Interesting, though, it has a prerequisite of a score like that, because what that tells me is you can't get the feet to bump a stat. You have to already have the stat bumped is what they're building here. So yep. I think that's something to keep an eye on. I don't know if I like that piece of it, because I like doing half ASIs to bump stats and get so, a ribbon ability. My issue is that you do have a delay because you can't get it at fourth level. If you didn't have your stat high enough, you couldn't get that to begin with because you have to have a 13 to take team mind. That's what I'm saying. 13 is also a weird number because it's outside of the standard point array. The, the was, standard it, was, array it 13, was there a prerequisite on keen mind previous? I didn't think there was. No. That's, that's, why, I pointed, that's why I pointed that out. Yeah, because I, like that's, that's, I dislike that because, again, I took keen mind to bump a stat. Like if I was playing a rogue, I would have intelligence slightly higher, say an 11. My first, and then I would take Keen Mind to get that to a 12. So now I've bumped the stat and I get the ribbon ability. 
can't do that now. Now, if I don't put the points in by point by, roll the stats, or however you do it, standard array, if it's not already at least your tertiary stat, you cannot take this feat at all yep. at fourth level. You'd have to wait till your eighth level to take this stat, and you would be forced to take the ASI as the feat at fourth level. Unless, of course, you're playing a human and you took your extra feat somewhere along the line. But, well, but, right. but again, you can't even do that to start with to get the stat. You're basically delaying this. I don't necessarily like that. I like using the feats to give you the bump and the ability. They're taking that away with yeah. a couple of these. But let me get to the main point here that I was trying to get to, which is the rest of the feat in and of itself. I love everything else about it. Giving you the, your choice in one of the skills. And, and then if you already have it, you can turn it to expertise. I think that is brilliant. I think that's perfect for what Keen Mind describes and ends up being. And then utilizing those new actions they're talking about. You now can use the study action as a bonus action. So that is brilliant. You want to play a character who's really skilled and does things, you've got that option. You then can take that to the next level when you're doing observant, which again, that wisdom plus 13, I'm a little sketchy on the prereq for the exact same reason, so I won't re revisit that, but I love this. You've got your set of skills that it works with. You could turn that to expertise if you already have it, which satisfies my itch. Skills should be able to improve. This allows you to improve skills. So I, in a game that has limited number of skills and we don't do skill points, this is the only way to really improve your skills mechanically throughout the narrative other than proficiency bonus, which everybody gets. So I like this ability. And again, now you get the search action, one of those other new actions, as a bonus action. So it gives you some really solid things that you can do. So now that rogue who's not getting in the thick of things or that lore bard or whatever class you're playing, as long as they pick the right prerequisites and set themselves up for it, they can actually go it. My problem with the prerequisites is that gets us into that trap or you must be in a certain path mentality okay. that I wanted you, to avoid from third. Why don't you explain that a little bit more? As you went on, I, I get what you're saying and I agree with it. I like the prerequisite because, again, I don't think that somebody who stat dumped and has an intelligence of eight should be able to take Keen Mind. But I see what you mean about the 13, because making it wait till eight, if you didn't already have the full set of stat given point by in particular, that's a solid call. Maybe they should, instead of 13, go with 12. The first point where you get an increase because average stat is 10. 12 is where it goes yeah. to plus one. At 12, you can get there as a tertiary stat and still yeah. make it. So that's feedback See, we could put in. I like that idea. I, I would say 10 would be the number. And the reason I say that is because this is not a dual class ability. They're not saying you need this to do a class. What they're saying is, I, and I would say you need to at least be average in order. And, and if you wanted to make an 11, I would even buy that. You need to at least be average in order to be able to train it up. Like you have yeah. to get to average before you can train up your abilities there. There are a lot of there are a lot of other ASI boosts added to other feats too, though. I think that right. they're just switching well, away that way, switching around the way that's going. But yes, it is all at all fourth, at fourth level. level. You can't get but it. That's the thing is that any of the first level feats that you can possibly add to a background, very few of them had as they are all pushing those to fourth level. So yeah, yeah. no ASIs at all at first level. First, first level, level. Yeah. not specifically remove them. Yeah, so you have so, to be at least fourth level to get an ASI. Yep. 
Yep. And so yeah. I, I think that your point is well taken, Lee Winika, that having a, having a minimum requirement of 13, again, that's kind of why I felt it was like a weird number. Because even though they're decentralizing your stat bonuses now and attaching them to background and that basically on your background, you can you can build whatever it is. You can take your plus two and you can take your plus one wherever you want it. Taking that 13 is going to disqualify a lot of characters from getting it. It's really, it's going to take a different set of thought on how to go ahead and get that feat at fourth level. And here's the other thing too, taking your ASIs off of your first level feats and attach, giving fourth level now such a significant bump because these feats are no joke and the ASIs that they get are really nice add-ons to feats that are retooled to be really powerful. We already see a lot of campaigns that don't begin at first level because they want to begin at third level when the subclasses come in. I wonder if this is going to cause a lot of campaigns to begin at fourth level now when they get that first feat or that first real feat. Because I think that the first level feats, the introductory level feats, Meh, but the fourth level feats are legit. I think they're I think they're pretty hot. I think but I do think you're right. We are pushing classes to get things from third level to fourth level. You get a, most campaigns are starting at third because that's where things get, except for priests and wizards. And, and uh, druids get it at second currently, but everybody else is at three. As we are centralizing when subclass features happen, I think that's something to take note of. I think looking at the fourth level feats and which ASIs, and what I'm noticing is there's no prerequisite for the armor, even though they come with ASI, but the mental stats have a prerequisite i don't necessarily get or the lack of parity there yep glenn what feats did you find that that kind of reached out to you we've touched on a lot of them as we've gone because i had the observant and keen feats both put down too i liked and disliked them at the same time because what they've been given are a lot more game specific at the table which i like it's giving you much more clear effects that each feat or ability can cause but Losing things like the total recall that was on Key Mind, a lot of people love that because that was like, I don't have to take notes, I can just ask. I like it, but there's, there's a little bit of heartbreak on that and the losing the plus five to your passive bonus for Observant because I'm a big passive perception person. But we'll see how that pans out. Maybe passive is going to be different too. But one of yeah. the things that I thought that was the most interesting was the addition of 10, foot, 10 feet of uh, blind sight to Skulker. Yes, Skulker was on my list. I think that Skulker got a big upgrade. Big upgrade. Uh, and it was already lost, pretty damn good. Rogues lost their 10 feet of blind sight. We're not talking about classes yet, but even and it was a late ability, but they don't get it anymore. But with the Skulker feet now, if you're a rogue, you can get it back. I'm wondering if that was on purpose to encourage people to take the Skulker feet because it was underused before. Yep. But there's plenty in the rogue tree, which we'll talk about later. So it's not heartbreaking that they lost that. And it's interesting that it was added there. I really thought that gave that the punch it needed to be a feat I'm going to pick up for my rogue because now at fourth level, you can have 10 feet of blindside. Yep. Yep. I think, yeah. I love that you mentioned Skulker. Before we wrap up feats, I would say going back to some of the old size, Polar Master, Sentinel, Sharpshooter. Sentinel, Sentinel got really nice too. It, it was has, already really nice, but now it gets uh, ability yeah. score increased too. Clarified now. Like the yeah, rules yeah. are very much the same, but the language is so much clearer now. Everything's yeah. an attack of opportunity instead of having to attack of opportunity versus a reaction or whatever. Yeah. What I like about it is just that. I don't think Sentinel has changed at all. What they did is clarify the language, add an ASI. It yep. is all of those things were in that one paragraph, but they were not as clearly written as this. That makes this better. The adding is a huge benefit to Sentinel. Could you imagine, just think about this through fifth edition for just a second. Think of how in our feats episode, we talked about how if you're playing a fighter, Sentinel is one of those feats you've got to take. Sentinel and then one of the weapon mastery feats, right? That, those are your first two feats if you're a fighter. They absolutely are every single time, day of the week, all the time. Now, not only do you get Sentinel, but you also get a half an ASI on top of that. And 
and it's a specifically, is it is it strength and dexterity? Yeah, strength or dexterity. So you get your pick of which one you want to go ahead and take on top of the benefits of Sentinel. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. But this is what Crawford made the statement of. He said he wanted people to not have to decide between advancing their stats or taking a feat. If you want more people to use feats, you got to make it not penalize them for not doing something else. That's why all the fourth or nearly all, if not all of them, at least all the ones I looked at it on first and second glance, come with an ASI. And if there's a, there might be a few that don't, but not many, if at all. I think, I I think, I think lightly armored is one that does not come with the ASI. Yep. That might be the only mounted combat has one. Yep. And it might be the only one. But it's also a first level feat. If you'll notice when it doesn't come with ASI, it says first level. Yep. And that, so that is by design. So it is no longer going to be, oh, this is cool because it gets this, because everything at that level gets this. Right. After so first level, they're all going to get an ASI. So you I can think, choose to take the double one by taking yep. the ability score improvement feat. So you yeah. get two. And again, that goes back to that weird, if it's a mental feat, you have to take a prerequisite, whereas for all the physicals, you don't. And that lack of parity. But fourth level, if I'm going to ever take that, unless I built it that way, I'm going to have to take the double ASI first, wait till eighth level to get that fourth level of ability that seems like it's punishing or unnecessarily punishing now i will say though that for the other ones there are prerequisites if you look skulker has a dc 13 or a prerequisite 13 dexterity oh yeah speedster which i think is going to replace mobility has a dexterity or constitution of 13 it doesn't however which i'm disappointed by have the fact that have the part about not provoking attacks of opportunity if you attack somebody that rick city gave you that was in the mobility feat yeah. Yeah, this new version that's been dropped but yeah there's prerequisites all over this so maybe we do want to put in feedback of hey can we lower those a little bit so that they don't lock you out to late level if you're not 100 that type of, ca- of player yep yep i think so let's go ahead and try to put a cap on this because this is going to be our first of a two-part episode about about this ua because we there's there is more meat on this bone than i think we thought about when we were doing our pre-show planning the one thing i will say is i feel like it is only right and proper to give mr miller a little bit of kudos because we certainly gave him an awful hard time when he suggested that the two point ASI at fourth level that you would be able to get was going to be a feat. We certainly hit him pretty hard with the don't be dumb stick when he said that. And lo and behold, come to find out right here in the U- in the UA, what do we have but a feat whose sole purpose is to go ahead and give you two points to either one stat or a plus one and a plus one to two different stats. Mr. Miller, I bow down, humbly beg your forgiveness for this one because boy, did I think that was a dumb idea and I still don't think it's a good idea. I think it's a distinction without a difference and I don't know why they did it, but it's not. lo and behold. It's because feats used to be optional. It used to be yep. ASI or optional feat. What this sure. says is in one D&D, feats that's are not, not going to be yeah. the case. Feats, will yeah. be in. Yep. That's pretty so, much the only distinction. But Feats yeah. being optional was stupid anyway. Like that, no, feats were not optional for anybody. That's so the only played. purpose for that distinction Nobody is to fix that. that oversight. Yeah. Yep. They realized that they were that they wanted feats to be optional because they were erring on the side of caution. People complained about the 3.5 feet trees, and so they said we just will build the game without feats. And then they had a, then they had feedback that indicated everybody wants feats. So what they did is they split that difference and said we'll make it an optional rule, and that way it's there if they want it. We'll build enough of them a robust enough list that if they want to use them, they can use them. And then they got so popular, they kept adding more feats. Every content creator out there who's doing good work, most of us are all adding feats because we love feats. And so what I can tell you is they learned their lesson. And I believe that's a direct quote from Crawford. We learned our lesson. Everybody uses feats. We used them at our tables. So we're going to put them into this. That's a bit of a paraphrase on that part. But essentially, feats were always part of this game. 
And this was a way to make it mechanically work because it was like Glenn said, it, there is no difference from what was and what is as far as this goes. They just titled it a feat so that they didn't have that old language that was problematic. We're going to put a cap on this episode here. I hope you've enjoyed this initial discussion on the uh, on this on our arcana here. We will be back next week where we break into the classes that are included in the expert UA here. The bard, the rogue, and the ranger class. So I'm really looking forward to that discussion. Yeah. Experts. Yeah, the experts. With that, we'll talk to you next week. Make sure that you fill out the survey for these. And if you're listening to the sound of our voices, bear in mind that our patrons do get the ability to listen to these episodes a few days early. So if this discussion is very much to your liking and you can't wait to get into more because we get the benefit of getting into more in about eh, 10 minutes at the time we're recording. If you want to get these as soon as possible, go right to our Patreon page, sign up at their multiple levels, but go ahead, jump in. Uh, if you want to support the show, if you want great content, if you want great content early, hashtag call your boys, TTJ. www.patreon.com slash TTJourneys, exactly. All right, gentlemen, we'll call it here, and we'll be back next week to go ahead and talk about the classes. Thank you for suffering through the agony of defeats. Thank you very much for yeah, listening, yeah. everybody. We'll talk to you then. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, at TT Journeys, by joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. And remember, if you want early access to all of our episodes, a chance to drop dice with your favorite hosts, and maybe even appear in one of our actual plays, you can join our Patreon to help support the show at patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. You're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible. We would appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays, and every Tuesday features our actual play episodes. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler along our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.